0: Tonight, God gave me a message called Rest in Foretold Authority. Some of y'all are going, ooh, at that title. Amen. Rest in Foretold Authority. Amen. We're in this series, Foretold, a call to remember what has been foretold rather than focusing on our past or even our present. We opened up last week with this message called From Present to Promise that if we would shift our focus from our present to the promise that God has over your life, it would help us, each and every one of us, to steward the moments correctly. And I I fully believe that as we go into 2024, people are already feeling it. I've been getting texts already. I've got leaders text me saying, hey, we got to meet for a brainstorming session. And some of you got my text. I was asking if we could do that this week because they're like, hey, 2024 is going to be a pivotal marking year in, in the life of this house. Um, it's our ten, I, I don't think it's coincidence that we're going into 10 years of ministry this year, but everyone's feeling it. But we're not going to walk into what God has called us to walk into, I believe, if we don't get this message tonight. I talked to you last week and I opened up with Colossians 3.2 that says, Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So that the only thing that moves you is not your present, rather the promise. That when you set your mind on the things above, it gives you the ability to manage according to the glory of God. And last week I felt like the Lord showed us a strategy for, for those who are seeking God, I want to make sure I preface that, for those who are truly seeking God, the, the strategy of all you're going through is that, as we saw that God gave permission to Satan to act on Job and to act through Judas. And we pointed out that when Jesus looked at Judas after Satan entered Judas, Jesus said, Satan, or he spoke to Judas, Judas, go do what you must. Because Jesus was not shaken by what the enemy was doing. Because he had his mind set on something greater. He had his mind set on a promise. And Satan did not realize that there was a process, that there was a procedure that had to be done for the future plans and things of God to come. So when Jesus looked at Judas and knew that Satan had entered him, Jesus said, go do what you must. And that was the strategy for the seeker. Satan, go do what you must because you know not the things you do. Y'all catch that? You don't understand that as I'm seeking God, whatever you throw at me is part of the process. You you hear that? Foretold means to tell something beforehand or of the coming of a future event that will happen by any procedure or source of information. It's not I'm predicting something that might happen. It's speaking an event now that will occur by some means of procedure. No matter how the procedure happened, Christ resurrecting from the grave, paying the debt of our sins was going to happen no matter what. The procedure is a means of what the Father says, I have got to do some things in order for something to take place. Even if you look in the the days of, of Moses and the Egyptians being let out, there was a time when God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. It was Pharaoh's decision to stay in that place or not, but God had to do something in order to move some things into play. Does that make sense? People always doubt, the, do we have free will? We have free will, but God loves to interrupt it to get us in his. You hear that? There we go. Now y'all waking up. It is an announcement of not something that might come, but something that will come. And the question for the believer is what will we do with this information? And the church has been taught to speak against the enemy, which we should. But if we are settled in our spirit seeking God, the best way to fight is to simply stay seated knowing who our victory is and not be moved. Knowing that a process is in place that the devil Satan is not aware of. I was listening to a a fellow preacher today that someone gave me a message from. He's in Savannah learning to know this guy and kind of his way. And and I was listening to a message and he said something I never never heard. If you want to know the name of the preacher, his name is Gene Hall. And um, I was just listening to the message and he said, It's funny how in the garden Satan was a serpent, but in Revelation he grew into a dragon. Because we fed him. I heard that and I thought, wow. He only had so much authority in the garden. And he gained it by us relenting to him. When we should be a people that are so focused on God that any effort of the enemy is not fed. And you know what the enemy thrives on? Fear. He thrives on things that we are places that we should be seated in him, the enemy thrives on when we get seated on his things. Many are so consumed in what's happening all around us that our eyes have shifted from the promise to the present. And when you do that, promise that has been foretold goes on pause because we spend more time trying to prevent what we fear rather than be seated in what's to come. That's right. yeah. To be seated means simply to be in rest. You hear this? Yeah. To be seated means to be in rest. When the people of God were delivered from slavery out of Egypt, they were simply going through a process to walk into a promise. Literally a what? A promised land. Well, the land promised to Abraham was the land of Canaan. Canaan in the Hebrew, manua actually simply means this, the resting place. What was the promise? I'm taking you into a place of rest. Jesus actually promised the same thing to us in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you what? Rest. The promise has always been the same. You are so busy in the midst of this life that you do not have rest. And if you will come to me, the dwelling place of the Almighty, the promised environment and the promised reality that you get to walk into is rest. Rest, being seated in a reality that flows from a right relationship with God. Rest is being seated in a reality that flows from right relationship with God. In other words, when you are at rest, anything that comes your way that tries to shake you fails because you know where you're seated and you choose to dwell in that reality and not be moved by a temporary reality. Right? And when you are seated in rest, peace of who you are, And whose you are, you actually get in proper position to operate in the authority that is placed over your life. And many of us are not walking in a proper authority that you have been called into because when storms of life come, you question who you are and you question who you belong to. Luke 10, 19 says, look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes, and you can walk among scorpions, and crush them. Nothing will injure you. Now, this does not mean go to the flea market and buy a bunch of snakes and scorpions. That dates me right there. Back in the day, they sold that stuff at Keller's. Any of y'all remember that? The pet area? Okay, I'm, okay. It says, do not fear walking amongst reality where you're looked down on for your faith. Looked down on because of your belief. Because in seated rest, you realize the authority is not from their agreement. It's in the spirit that you walk in and the spirit that they do not. And do not fear walking amongst a reality where you engage with spirits or even Lucifer himself. Because snakes and scorpions treading on it is referring to spirits at work. Things that sting. Things that bite. Lucifer took the form of a what? A serpent. In seated rest, you realize that the authority that you're walking in, everything else has to surrender to. I was reading... I read it almost every time I sit down to write a message because I think it's such a powerful imagery. And I probably reference it every time I preach, the the story of when Jesus calmed the storm. I was reading it today, and I saw something else in it that I hadn't seen before. Don't you love how the Word does that? You can read the same thing over and over, and it's so living that you find new breath every time you read it. Well, look at this in Mark chapter 4, verses 38 through 40. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? But when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence and be still. And suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, we always talk about how when Jesus says, Do you still have faith? they would have understood that they could have just been spoke speaking to the storm be still calm right right true but what i want you to notice is that in order for him to point out their lack of faith it had to be compared to his faith which looked like what rest it wasn't speaking to the storm is that it was that the storm did not wake him from rest. If all of them would have been in rest, storms would not have had permission to move them to restlessness. And therefore, calmness would have never needed to be spoken in order for them not to be moved. I wonder, do we spend more time talking to storms than being seated with rest? Because storms should not move you to restlessness. So we, we talk about moving from glory to glory to glory, right? So what if... What if there was a glory the bride was in years ago where we were learning to speak to our situations, but a new form of glory is being so seated that we're not waking up to even have to speak? We, we, we don't have to feed the, the spirit at work with anything of us because we're so seated in who we are in him. Like being so seated in the heavenly courts that the things in this earth don't even deserve our voice because we're not moved by them. The only thing that deserves our voice in those moments is glory to God. And a lot of us go through times when, when, when you're going through trials and, and hurt and pain, and we spend all of our prayer time just, Lord, I, I just speak against it. Lord, I just speak against it. But what if you were so rested where you didn't have to speak against it because you know where you truly are seated? That's a new sound, right? Y- 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 y'all, get, y- y'all receiving that? But like, just being real, like, like going into the, the Christmas weekend and people are, are, are nervous about seeing family members that you don't want to see. You're so rested that nothing they do shakes you. Right? Which causes you to show them a love that they don't deserve. Not because you're trying to love them, but because you're in a seated posture where only the only thing that comes out of you is love. When Jesus was talking to his 72 disciples, they, they, they were like amazed. They were like, wow, like we're speaking to things and they obey us. They said, even the demons obey us when we use your name. And then Jesus has a conversation with them. And I'm going to pull out Matthew 28, 18 through 19, where it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. By the way, if you ever wonder why we have the authority to judge the angels, we were given the authority in earth and in heaven. That's that's the connector, okay? Therefore, go and make disciples, go and make disciples, go and make disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations, not just the nations you like, not just the nations you identify with, but all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says... Now, Jesus looks at them and he says, do not rejoice in the fact that the spirits obey you. Rejoice that your names are registered in heaven. In other words, have rest of where you are. And when you have rest in where you are, that is why they obey what you say. The authority has been foretold over you. He has it and he gave it. So there's a call to walk in such a seated position of rest knowing who you are that you can go forth and make disciples and baptize. But here's where we've got to move from glory to glory. Making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is not just a call to get them dunked in water. Because after Jesus was dunked in water... There was another baptism. The Holy Spirit came down, and it says, rested on him. And we're leading people to a baptism in the sun, but we stopped there thinking we got them, and then we put them in a membership roll, and then we put our attendance records up, But what the Lord is saying is go make disciplined people of God, baptizing them in who they are and in salvation in Jesus and in a baptism of Holy Spirit. You cannot lead people into a pinnacle experience of water baptism alone. The follow-up is to be immersed in Holy Spirit, the presence of God. I say it like this, disciple them into their seat. disciple them into their seat even mary could not walk into her assignment without that baptism let me read it in luke 1 31 35 you will conceive and give birth to a son you will name him jesus he will be very great he will be called the son of the most high the lord god will give him the throne of his ancestor david and he will reign over israel forever his kingdom will never end Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. She had to be overshadowed by God Himself in order to be put into a proper position to give birth to a God ordained promise. I wonder if you're not birthing what God has planned for you because you are still in a religion of, I've been baptized with water. When God wants us to be baptized in the one who commissions you for birthing. That is the key for where we're going. We've been saying that phrase that God gave us turn the key. Right? Turn the key is I'm going to walk in what I'm gifted in. But I cannot walk in what I'm gifted in until I submit to the overshadowing, immersing baptism of who he is. Why did Jesus say it was better for him to go? So that his authority could be transferred to disciple makers. Why can he give authority to his believers? I've been reading it every week. I'm going to read it again because scripture just never gets old to me. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, a child is born to us, a son is given. The government will be on his, it will rest On his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heavens will make this happen. It says that the government rested on his shoulders. The reason his government will never end is because there will always be a remnant of people who are willing to submit their lives to walking in his government. And the way to influence a culture to receive the name of Jesus, y'all hear that? Influence a a culture. Not trying to market a culture to get in here. But influence it to where their only response is gathering together with believers. Right? The way to influence the culture is to live according to his kingdom to live according to a government that doesn't make sense to them so that when they see this no-sense government working in your life, your testimony of his government and your testimony of his way causes them to join us in a posture of we are so seated that we actually tread on snakes and scorpions, spirits that come against us. We will they will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Can I say that we have missed the point of testimony because the only testimony we we'll like to talk about is the day you got saved. That's a great testimony. But, I, but, but what about the testimony of, I believed in my healing and it happened? What about the testimony of, I was going through this horrible time and I should have done this and I should have done that, but I rested in his ways instead of my ways. And it worked. And that testimony caused him to go, oh, There is a better way. That better way is the government that rested on his shoulders. What is the government of God? It is his ways. It is bless those who persecute you instead of getting even with the slander, right? It, it, it It is praying over our enemies, right? It, it, it is a different way. It is a, when, 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 you, when someone you know, punches your left side, you turn around and punch the other. It's a different way. That doesn't make sense. But if we would rest in his way, in his government, people will say that way is weird, but then they will see that we are the ones walking in the authority for walking in a different way. It's a different way. it's a different way of no longer coming here to get a word no longer coming here to get a good experience We intentionally changed the name years ago from worship experience to worship gathering because you shouldn't be coming here hoping you will experience something. The posture should be we're gathering together because we're in the presence of God. Not hoping that the presence will be here but having the understanding that his presence is everywhere and if we would come into agreement with that reality then we would walk into a seated position of experiencing that reality. Here's the truth. God is everywhere. The only reason you don't feel it is if you, have, if you are not seated in rest. It's not invite the presence. It's you choose to live in that dimension. And that's what we do together as a church family, is we come together in agreement that we no longer want to stay in a dimension of this world, but that we would literally live in a dimension of heaven on earth. That is thy kingdom come. Thy, thy government will come on the earth as it is in heaven. Not when you die physically, but when you die spiritually and resurrect spiritually. Is this okay? So I say all this, that we must be at rest, seated, in foretold authority. And you must be wondering why do we keep talking about this foretold authority when it comes to this Christmas season. I'm going to read out of Matthew chapter 2. And believe it or not, I'm not too far away from being done. I think that was one of the biggest struggles of me is why is this message so short? But I feel like what I'm bringing tonight is just simply what we need. Do you all feel that? Are you in agreement with that? Okay, if you're not, you're wrong. Um, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? There's so much in that. It's funny, they're calling this newborn the king. To the king. Before we go, This wasn't in my notes, but before we go any further, there's a lot of kings in your life that you need to declare who is your true king. Amen. Amen. Let that be your prayer, leaving tonight, waking up in the morning. <laughs> because the king that you're answering to now, his government is not real. It's false. The king you're submitting to of the world is the true government. We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, tonight, we're not going to be talking about the wise men from the east or the star or you know, when Jesus was born or how old he was and all that stuff that I usually talk about. Tonight, I want to actually focus on King Herod. <clears throat> king Herod was known as Herod the Great. That's actually, if you look in history, the one known as Herod the Great. That's how you can kind of figure out the time frame of when Jesus was born. It was during his reign. Well, the king known as Herod the Great was called great because in many ways he was great. He was a great ruler. He was a great builder. Matter of fact, he, he was trying to uh, kind of get the Jews to kind of buy into him, so he built and improved the temple. Did you know that? He, he, was, he, he was an administrator. He actually did really good in famine relief. He was very loyal to what he figured for his people, but he was also very great in his cruelty. He was obsessed with the position, obsessed with his authority. So when he heard the prophecies of becoming coming king, he didn't exactly feel at rest. Like the, the, the prophecies in Zechariah 9-9. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Amen. <laughs> Amazing how accurate the prophet is, isn't he? Or, and you can just leave that up, or like hearing the prophecies of Isaiah that the government will be on his shoulders. That his government will never end. This is not exactly the thing a Herod the Great wanted to hear. You can imagine that fear crept in Herod because his authority was threatened. Now watch this in verse 3. It says that King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this as was everyone in Jerusalem. He was constantly on guard against any threat to his rule. So he and all of Jerusalem were on edge. A rival king was prophesied to be born. Herod didn't like it. And Jerusalem's on edge because they scared of what Herod gonna do. But I say if their faith was seated there will be nothing to fear, only what to look forward to. Y'all hear that? If our faith is seated, if we are seated in rest, there will be nothing to fear, only something to look forward to. And yet believers are more shaken by government elections and decisions than non-believers. Where's your faith? Do you think God is judging the times based off of a democratic government that he never ordained to be? His government's kingdom, not democratic, not liberal, not, you know, any of the other, you know, all these other archies and all the stuff is kingdom. That is the perfect way. If you read the scripture, when they put King Saul in as king, what God actually wanted was there to be no earthly king. And they're like, well, we need somebody. You don't know what you're doing, God. And look what happened with King Saul. The best way was simply to walk the earth and let me rule you. That was all he wanted. And we're putting faith in all these man-made things. Do you realize that the only thing Jesus required, the only thing the Father required, the only thing the Spirit required for Adam and Eve to have an authority of naming animals and telling this where it should go and telling that where it should go was simply show up for the walk. Show up for the walk. When we come here and worship's going an hour and it's kind of up and down and you know, maybe at times you're thinking, are are they they trying too hard? Or or is it we're trying to break through into another place and we all need to simply show up for the walk? Show up for the circle dance, the perichoresis with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You want to know why? People say we, we, to dance like David danced. He got so lost in the dance with who God was and praising him that nothing going on shifted his position. And it was probably a dance that wasn't great, but it was something that people knew that there was he, he had his eyes fixed on something that they did not. It says in verse 4 that Herod called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem and Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. It's kind of funny. They're like, you know the prophecy? It's in there. Just read it. And you of Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. When you find him, come back and tell me, I want to go worship him. <laughs> Y'all know that's not what he wanted to do. Well, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star had seen them in the east, guided them to Bethlehem. They went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. That's amazing. The, 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 I love the idea that the spirit of God will compound the wise because the wise men here are compounded. They're totally submitting to this newborn infant. It, it says they entered the, the house, saw the child with his mother Mary, bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chest, gave them gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route for God warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up and flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary and his mother. They stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord has spoken to the prophet I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers on a massacre to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod was so scared of this baby prophesied that he, he led a massacre to kill every boy two and under. But we need to pay attention to this. Herod was not afraid of a baby. He was afraid of what the baby carried. Authority. He was afraid of the baby's future. Not the baby's present. And there is something in you that you have not even seen that threatens the authority of Lucifer in this region. And he will try and destroy anything he can to prevent that future. That is why we should not be regarding each other according to our misses, according to our falls, according to the things that so easily offend, you know what we should regard each other? There is a future in you. And I'm willing to lock arms when you get it wrong because I am obsessed with your future. You need to know that the assignment on your, and I want everyone to hear this, I'm not, this is not a generalized one or two. Every single person, I want you to hear this. There is an assignment over your life, which is a call to unseat the authority of the enemy in this region. That's why you're placed here. That's why you're placed where you are. There There is an assignment on you. Your foretold authority is not limited to something you experience in heaven or even on the new earth. It's something you walk in now. But you won't see that come to play until you are so at rest that when he shows you the vision, you don't get scared of it. You start walking into it. We don't know much about Moses' mom, but we know what she carried. We don't know much about Mary, but we know what she carried. And we need to start regarding each other based off of what? What we carry. The vision of this house is to see people come alive in Christ. Christ. Not the last name of Jesus. But Christ being a mark of one who is anointed. When he says, I'm going to multiply myself in the earth, you know what he was doing? He, what, he wasn't saying, let me create more Jesuses. He says, let, let me spread Christ. Yes. Thank you. And when you walk in Christ or the anointing, it says that anointing will break the yoke over your life. Amen. So the more you submit to what you're anointed to do, the quicker your strongholds can't breathe. You want to know how you stop feeding the spirits? Stop feeding the enemy? You simply start walking on what you're called to do. Not when you're ready. Embracing who you are. And this is the strategy of the enemy. He wants to destroy unity. Because he fears the future of a unified assembly. He fears... He fears the idea of leaders in the area of of houses of worship actually coming together despite differences. Despite even differences in theology. He fears that. Because if people would understand that there's actually just one church of the region, that unseats the enemy. So you know what the enemy does? He tries everything he can to... So how do we fight that? As far as it depends on you. We got to regard each other in the right way. There is something about rest and I'm actually going to close with a few scriptures. Because one thing that the Lord was speaking to me, specifically today I woke up working more on this message and I found the peace that I feel like I needed one of those pieces was that in the Christmas story a lot of people pay attention to obviously the birth of the Savior we all a lot of us pay attention to Mary, the virgin who see the child by way of being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit but there's another one we don't give much attention to can you guess who that is? Joseph let me me show you how incredible Joseph is Let, let, let me read Matthew 2 13 through 14. After the wise men were gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, not Mary, Joseph, in a dream. Get up. Did you catch that? Why did he say get up? Because he was at rest. Get up. Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So that night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and the Mary, his mother. Look at verse 19 through 20. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. Look what he says. Get up. The angel said, Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. Did you notice that it wasn't Mary that God spoke to? In fact, after getting pregnant and then visiting Elizabeth, we don't really see much more conversations with Mary. But it's shifted to Joseph. And each time God speaks to Joseph through an angel, he's saying, get up. Because Joseph was the covering of that household yes. that helped them to be seated in rest. Yes. And even so much, the last two verses I read tonight in 22 and 23, it says, but when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. How many of you know what's to come and you're afraid of it? It's, 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 hear me out. Not necessarily a bad thing, because watch this: Then, after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth that's fulfilled what the prophets said he will be called a Nazarene. I want you to notice this: He feared what he was walking into. But he didn't stop walking into it until then. The Lord spoke to him in a dream. So, in other words, he was told to go to Judea. And even though he was scared of what Judea had, he did not waver from walking there until the Lord told him not to. Why? He was seated. You know, the thing about Archelius was that he was worse than his father, he was cruel to the max. Nothing about Judea at that time would have made Joseph look at his wife and newborn baby and say, hey, let's go to Judea. But he was so seated in the promise of God. He was so seated in this crazy idea that the baby he was fathering was the savior of the world. He was so seated in all of these fleshly ifs, ands, maybes, and crazies that he just kept going. He was given an authority to lead a family in Jesus' name for Jesus' name. We are told that God has created us to walk in his authority on this earth so that people will come to know him. So that the strategies of the enemy would not be able to come forth. That we can tread on serpents and scorpions. That we can heal diseases and cast out demons. Yes. But we will not walk into such a level of spotless bride identity. Until we learn to be at rest in who we are. walk into rest of your foretold authority hear this tonight his way is so good that if you will be seated no matter how big the storms are it won't move you that is not dependent on where is god in the middle of my mess it's dependent on you understanding where you are in the middle of the mess. We pray too often, God, please remove me. Which tells me that your reality is still in the midst. Because where I'm seated, it's above the storms. It's above the issues. So it's not, God, will you move me? Because where I am, I cannot be moved. I'm seated. Life is understanding as believers of how to walk in the reality of heaven. Not just in the rainbows and the flowers and the streets of gold and angels singing, but are you in a reality of heaven when hell breaks loose in your life? Understanding that there is an authority that was foretold over you to walk in. That was foretold over you. you. He, he, He purchased the right for you to be seated in a place that you were not worthy of. And he looks at his disciples even before he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And he's telling them, just by walking with me now, you were already seated in such a degree where demons have to flee and tremble because you walk in my name. You catch that? Think about how much religion religion has perverted the gospel of the kingdom. We think that in order to be saved, we have to say a certain prayer. We think that in order to be saved, we have to make sure we get this, this right, and that right. And you know what salvation simply is? Showing up for the walk and saying yes. yes.
1: yes. yes.
0: yes. I don't know why this dropped in my spirit today. But I began thinking about people who don't know God. Or let me, let me say that. And then in a moment, they start to understand who he is. And they come to a worship gathering. And because they're understanding who he is, they say a prayer. And then we say the rhetoric of, you just got saved. But I think we need to understand that the moment they started to see him, that's right. the prayer here simply confirmed that they were already seated. Yeah. Yes. That, that's, that's how it really works. Yes. Salvation is not in the hands of a preacher blessing you because of a prayer. Think about the thief on the cross. No prayer to lead him. You know the moment the thief got saved? When he recognized that he was hanging next to a king. And I say that the salvation of this region depends on a people who start to understand that we are seated in the presence of a king. And that everything in this region, every confusing spirit, every manipulative spirit, every rebellious spirit, every spirit of Jezebel, spirit of Absalom, Python spirit, every single spirit has to submit to a place where my king is. Walk in foretold authority. Walk in the reality that our reality is Messiah reigns we walk in that that's when this region shifts amen yes. let's stand let's give God praise tonight he is so so good I um I just want to encourage you tonight that as I close in prayer whatever you need to do with the Lord, take the time to do it. If it is simply saying, Jesus, I'm here, tell Him. If you want to commit to your seated position in a new way, there's communion up here. You can do it alone. You can do it with your spouse. You can do it with a friend and just say, Lord, tonight's a new day. I'm no longer waiting to walk in my authority. I am, I am going to get seated. Maybe you're not at rest right now. I put forth you don't leave until you are. It's a mind shift. We're going to close, but he um, was going to
1: come up here and give a word, and he's going to close it out. So. I can't not share this, uh everything he was saying uh, I had to go look in my phone September 30th 2019 at 715 I wrote this The word the Lord gave me said garden to garden you know in the beginning it all started in the garden it ended in the garden God said garden to garden is a place taking back what is yours reaching your full potential and taking your seat of authority in him Glory to glory, is walking in all potential, and operating in full kingdom authority. Walking through principalities, removing sickness and death. Coming into God's alignment, and not man's. Ephesians 4:1 through 16. Unity through the order of office. God, and love are the attributes of Jesus that's everything he sitting here and said the five offices of the body filtered through honor will rebuild the church as we honor one another we call forth apostles prophets evangelists pastors teachers align the church to fulfill the purpose and transition the house of David So right now, Father God, we just decree this over this house, God. We take a seated place of authority right now. God, you have called us into this day. God, as we begin to walk into next year, God, God, I pray that you just begin to anoint every person that you send here, God. God, I pray that no man leaves here without being mantled. God, I just, we just lift up your name as we go into a season of worship, God. God, as we begin to just thank you, God, for this season that we are, you have prepared us for battle. We have, been, we have been pushing through, God, because you have called us out for this season, God. God, we just thank you and we just press forward into this purpose, God. We just honor you. We just thank you. If there's anyone in this house that has anything, God, we just open the altars tonight. We we lay everything down at your feet tonight. Just as the wise men came, they laid it down at his feet, God. God, I just pray right now. We just open the altar up and we just close this out to you, Holy Spirit. You minister in Jesus' name.